Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for the man that show hosts across the country have been raving about. What this guy move. has got to be one of the cockiest human beings on planet Earth. On Earth, I love him. You I happen to like that guy, but who the hell does he think he is? I like that. Okay, maybe not Evan Cohen, but Mike Babchick has a weird obsession with him. That's why I like him, because he's he's hot! He's even caught the eye of Adam Shine. Joe Serralo, pride of St. Bonaventure. Woj has called him the future of the industry. If you're still not sold, well, take Adam's advice. If you don't believe me, ask Joe. He'll be the first one to tell you how great he is. Now, it's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with, you guessed it, Joe Sorallo. I might be too strong, I don't compliments, overdosed on confidence, started not to give a fuck and stop fearing the consequence, drinking every night because we drink to my accomplishments, faded way too long, I'm floating in and out of consciousness, and they saying I'm back, I'd agree with that, I just take my time with all this shit, I still believe in that, I had someone tell me I fell off, ooh I needed that, and they wanna see me pick back up, well where'd I leave it at? I Here we I go, Serralo Sports Talk episode, this double it's episode 10 getting underway here on this Thursday afternoon. Obviously, it's probably Friday by the time you're listening to this. Great show ahead. My Serralo pick six. Making my picks alone this week. Want to start the show. First off, sending my best wishes out to my guy, Brandon Lang. A uh, bit of a medical situation causing him to cancel at the last second this week. So, Brandon, hope you're feeling better. I look forward to talking to you next week, my man. So all over the scoreboard for the NFL college football, not totally in love with a lot of the lines. I'll try to get you my best six plus my extra point. Big Ten's back. Can't fucking wait. Big Ten's back. Penn State. Is this the year? Penn State going to overtake Ryan Day's Buckeyes? Probably not. Probably not. Penn State's actually had, had a few key players, especially their best player, Micah Parsons, opt out on the season. So... I'm a little skeptical. I think they're ranked sixth right now, and that might be a little high for this Penn State team. Hopeful, but not too optimistic. All over the Bachelorette. I know I missed last week's episode. My laptop broke. Couldn't do it. I have two weeks, two episodes of Claire of the Bachelorette to get to. That'll be my second segment. All over it. Gonna have guests that talk about the Bachelorette more than sports in the next few weeks. Trust me on that one. And... A great spot with Jake Asman, my guy, pride of WKWZ down in Syosset High School, now killing it at Sports Map Radio down in Houston. Jake will be joining the show shortly, but first, I've got to start with the story of the week. The World Series, Tampa Bay, the LA Dodgers, the two best teams in baseball emerging from their respective eight team fields in the postseason. Facing off, and we're tied 1-1 with a huge Game 3 tonight. If you ask me in any any best of seven series, the most important game, it's Game 3, right? Game 1's great, you know, you love to jump out to that win, and I, I know that the winner of Game 1 has won 20 of the past 25 World Series, and then Game 2 is crucial, because you can either tie the series, or you can go up 2-0. 2-0 is not an insurmountable lead in a series. 
Game three is what it's all about. If you say you're up 2-0, if you go up 3-0, you're 38-1 in the history of Major League Baseball. If you go up 3-0 in basketball, you're a lock. In hockey, you're almost a lock. 3-0, that'll pretty much determine the series. Not 100%, but 99% of the time. So if you win game three and you're up 2-0, there you have it. If you're, you're down 2-0, you win game three, all of a sudden it's a series again. You know, look at the Houston Astros last year against the Washington Nationals. Nationals went up 2-0. Astros won game three. They ended up going up 3-2 before the Nats won back-to-back game six, game seven. So if you're down 0-2, you can save your series with a game three win. And obviously, if you're tied 1-1, the winner of game three then goes on most of the time to win the series. So game three is what this is all about. Charlie Morton taking on Walker Bueller. Look, I like Walker Bueller. I think he's got electric stuff, just like Dustin May has electric stuff. I'm not sold just yet on his clutch factor. I think last postseason, he was actually better than he's been so far this postseason. But I'm not as high on Walker Bueller in the playoffs as I am on Charlie Morton. You know, regular season, yeah, give me a young kid like Walker Bueller over Charlie Morton any day. In a game three, and then eventually, and don't think that the Tampa Bay Rays didn't think this one through, then eventually if this gets to a game seven, which I said before the series, not on the air obviously, but I think it's documented on Twitter so that there's proof, I said I like Tampa Bay in seven this series. The game three pitcher is also your starting pitcher in game seven. Don't think for one minute that those MIT nerds who probably couldn't hit a T-ball if you put it up for them didn't think this one through before the series, before even the ALCS, and say if we're in a position where there's a Game 7, which obviously it worked out in the ALCS when Tampa squandered that 3-0 lead and then Charlie Morton saved the day, big cock chuck in Game 7, don't think that they didn't think this one through before the series started to make sure that Charlie Morton would be the guy. Look, Tyler Glass now in Game 1, that was risky as hell. You know, Glass now's got, you know, he's another guy. I'll talk about Walker Bueller, talk about Dustin May. Tyler Glass now has absolutely electric stuff, but he isn't really refined as a pitcher. In fact, Walker Bueller is much more refined than Tyler Glass now thus far in their careers. Glass now has an electric fastball and an electric curveball. The slider needs work. The movement's great. The control's not there. Even on the curveball, sometimes the control is not there. He just needs to refine himself because he's got the raw stuff, just not necessarily the control yet. I mean, what did he walk? Six guys in game one? You know, Tyler Glass now is great. I don't know if he's who you want going in game one. You know, I'd be much more comfortable with Blake Snell in game one, Charlie Morton game two. Then, you know, try to go up 2-0, save Glass now. But Morton in game three is so methodical because game three and game seven are probably the two most important games of a series. You You can definitely argue game six, but game three... We'll set the tone. We'll put one team up 2-1 in this case. Obviously, game seven, if you get there, you need Charlie Morton. 4-0, 0.46 in winner-take-all elimination games in the postseason throughout his career. You talk about Charlie when he was with Houston. Game seven, do you want Verlander? Do you want Gary Cole? You want Charlie fucking Morton. Talk about him with Tampa. Do you want Blake Snell? Do you want Glass now? You want Charlie fucking Morton. Charlie Morton going tonight against Walker Bueller. I love it. It's the reason I have Tampa Bay winning this thing in seven. Because I think they win tonight. They go up 2-1. Then I think the Dodgers come out and win two out of three games, four to six. I think Glass now, I just, I don't, I don't know if I can trust them against this Dodgers lineup. They're too good. You know, it's, it's an all-star lineup. Tyler Glass now could go out there and make the Pittsburgh Pirates lineup look like a little league team and probably throw a perfect game just on his raw stuff alone 
when you're facing Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, raw stuff's not going to be enough. Because if you don't have control, they're going to lay off. And if you make a mistake, which you saw, they're going to capitalize on it and they're going to take you, they're going to take a yard. It's that simple with this Dodgers lineup. It is a phenomenal lineup, probably hands down the best lineup in all of Major League Baseball. You're dealing with the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball, and that's a combination of the starters and obviously, you know, their bullpen when you go to the openers, Fairbanks, Anderson, Diego Castillo. I mean, Aaron Looping game too looked incredible. You know, best pitching staff in baseball, and obviously they're used in the best way versus the best lineup in baseball. And a guy like Glass now who relies strictly on raw stuff, as much as I love him and I can't wait to see the direction his career goes in because he's still so damn young, I'll take the lineup against a guy like Glass now. But I'll say in games four, five, six, Blake Snell gets a win. Or either Snell or the opener game. I'll say Glass now, that's a loss, which would be huge for Kershaw because they'll presumably meet in game five. So that'd be colossal for Clayton Kershaw. Game four is probably going to be an opener situation, maybe like a Ryan Yarborough. Game six, Snellzilla back on the bump. So I'm going to say Dodgers go up 3-2. And I'm going to say that Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, rattle off game 6-7. Tampa Bay comes down second year in a row. A team down 3-2 wins the World Series. That's how I have this one going. And I absolutely love it. And you know who else I absolutely love? Randy Arozarena. I mean, this kid has been absolutely lights out. Tied Derek Jeter for the most hits, 22 hits in a postseason by a rookie. You know, I had someone come up to me and say, oh, well, he's a rookie, but isn't he like 30 years old? Hasn't he been in the farm system for... The kid's 25. I know he's not as young as Jeter was as a rookie, but don't make any mistake about it. The kid's 25. He's got incredible pop. He's just got bat speed. Like, you know, it's almost like looking at like a Vladdy... Now, I'm not going to say Vladdy Jr. I'm not going to make any comparisons to a guy who's just entering his third year in the league. But it's almost like that Vlad Guerrero bat speed where when he just connects, doesn't matter what the pitch is, doesn't matter the location, he could send it oppo, he could pull it, he could you know hit it dick down the middle to center field. The kid uses all fields and he can hit for contact and for power. He is so much fun to watch. Brandon Lau getting in on the party in game two. I mean, this Rays lineup, you cannot compare them to the LA Dodgers lineup. But they're fun. And it seems like someone else is playing hero every single night. It could be He-Man Choi one night. It could be, you know, a Rosarina, Lau, Austin Meadows, Kevin Kiermeyer took Kershaw Yard in game one. Kiermeyer doesn't have pop. Like, where the hell does that come from? Mike Zanino has, has, uh, has provided them with a much-needed spark at times, especially in the ALCS. You know, Zanino's a guy who, like, I think he had a 20-home run year with Seattle maybe four or five years back, but... He is on your team for defense and really no other reason. Like, I just love this Tampa Bay team. Do I agree with every move that they make? No. Sometimes I think that the kids from MIT need to take a backseat to the baseball guys. Pulling Charlie Morton in game seven at 66 pitches was utter bullshit. And if you pull him at 66 pitches tonight or in a potential game seven in this series, guess what? You're going to lose both. But, but this team is so much fun to watch. And most of the moves, not all of them, most of them work out really damn well. And like I said, that, that factor of just going out there, knowing that every single night, someone else could be the hero. Your pitching is going to be fairly consistent. Obviously, you had the game one blip, but most nights your pitching is going to be there. 
and someone else in that lineup could play hero every night. Whereas for the Dodgers, you know, if Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts don't have it, I know Corey Seager is the ALCS MVP, but if Bellinger and Betts both have a night where the two of them are off, the Dodgers are probably going to struggle at the plate. You know, maybe you get the Chris Taylor step up, maybe the Kiki Hernandez step up, but Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts, you can pretty much bank on if the Dodgers light it up, if they put up seven or an eight spot, it's going to be Bellinger and Betts in the box score, right? This Rays team, Meadows could do nothing and Lau could hit two dingers, you know? He-Man Choi could strike out four times, but don't worry, a Rosarina just took the best pitcher in baseball yard. I mean, that's what this Rays team is made of. It is so much fun to watch. I'd be really disappointed if they don't win this series. I'm saying it goes the distance. I'm saying seven games. You had the first time in years where both the ALCS and NLCS went seven. I'm going to say the same thing happens in the World Series. Give me a seven-gamer. Give me Tampa Bay. I absolutely love it. I also absolutely love the fact that Tampa Bay and Los Angeles are the two fucking sports towns in America right now. You got the Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay with the Lightning. You got the Larry O'Brien Trophy with the LA Lakers. Now you've got the World Series Trophy going to either LA or Tampa. You've got the Rams tearing it up. They got Sunday Night Football this week against the Bears. You've got Tom Brady down in Tampa Bay for the Bucks, making them a legitimate Super Bowl contender, as Tom Brady could be on any team you throw him on. I mean, Tampa Bay and Los Angeles right now are the premier sports cities in the U.S. Boston, no more. New York hasn't been for a while. It's L.A. It's Tampa Bay. I fucking love it. I absolutely love it. Game three tonight. Can't miss TV. When we come back, though, you want to talk about can't miss television? There is only one more week that I will have to DVR The Bachelorette. And that's, of course, unless one team rattles off three straight this weekend and there's no game six. But assuming that there's a game six Tuesday night, there's only one more week that I'll have to DVR The Bachelorette. And then you will know where to find me every Tuesday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time, right along my guys Dan Orlovsky and Mike Golick Jr. with our satin pink robes and our glasses of rosé on Tuesday. By the way, love the move by ABC to Tuesday night. Can't compete with Monday Night Football. Just never could. Can't happen. But Tuesday night, Bachelorette, I have a lot to say about Claire and these jabronis that she brought on the show. So stick around. That's up next. And then my guy, Jake Asman from SportsMap Radio, talking all things Jets, having Joe Namath on his show this past week, having Trevor Lawrence possibly replace Sam Darnold. Great spot. You don't want to miss it. Stick with us. Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. We'll be right back. Baby, can't you see I'm calling A like you should play a warning It's dangerous, I'm flying There's no escape, I can't wait I need a hit, baby, give me it You're dangerous, I'm loving Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo.
here on Sorallo Sports Talk. It's me, Joe Sorallo, monologue all over the World Series. Two games down, five to go. I'm going Tampa Bay in seven. You can't go against a team that's running out Charlie fucking Morton in a game seven. Up next, Jake Asman, my guy, host of the Jake Asman Show on Sports Map Radio every weekday, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. He's going to hop on to talk about his miserable Jets, uh, talk about his Yankees getting dicked around by Tampa in the postseason. Don't forget the Yankees were anointed World Series champs before this baseball season even started. And Aroldis Chapman's second straight year, he has given up a home run to end the season for the Yankees. There's nothing personally that I love more than that. So Jake Asman will be hopping on the show soon. But first, I have to use this segment to catch up on The Bachelorette. I'm just going to say it. I hate every year when they start off the most dramatic season yet, the craziest season yet. Shit that you've never seen before in your life is going to happen right here on this season. It usually sucks, right? They pulled it with Colton. He jumped over a fence. Big deal. He's nuts. There's a reason that the winner of that season, uh, Cassie Randolph, who he proposed to, they ended up dating after the season. There's a reason now she has a restraining order against him. He's nuts. This season, though. This season just might be the craziest season of The Bachelorette yet. And I'm just going to say it. I fucking hate Claire. I cannot stand this bitch. I mean, she thinks that because she is 39, that she is entitled, that guys have to kiss the ground that she walks. Maybe there's a reason you're 39 and single, Claire. Maybe there's a reason that in 39 freaking years, you haven't found a guy capable of loving you. Because she wants all these guys to worship the ground that she walks on. She wants them to roll out the red carpet for her instead of for themselves when they step out of the limo on night one. Like, she's nuts. Do these guys not all see? I mean, look, these are some bad guys, right? I'm not going to lie. This is a pretty crappy group of guys. Like, you've you've got Dale and you've got Bennett, who for me is like my personal favorite. Like, Bennett just screams Bruce Wayne. I look at Bennett... Pulling up in his Rolls Royce, night one. I think the dude's a little older compared to most of the guys there. I believe, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, he's like 36, has a Rolls Royce, is an investment banker who lives in New York City. Like, Bennett just screams, I'm fucking Batman on the weekends. But the rest of these guys are awful. I mean, this is such a terrible group of men to choose from with a terrible bachelorette. So... For me, it's not so much a matter of like, I feel bad for Claire because of her selection. It's more, she deserves these scummy guys. I feel bad for, spoiler alert, it seems like everyone knows it's going to happen. There's something about, and I don't know all the details because I don't don't want to spoil this for myself, let alone for you guys. But there's been rumors about Claire running off with one of these guys in like the third or fourth week. So I guess that'll be coming up soon. And then Taysha coming on the show and resuming Claire's duties as The Bachelorette. That's who I feel bad for because Taysha doesn't deserve any of these guys. Like outside of like Dale or Bennett, Taysha can do light years better, <clears throat> yours truly, than any of these schmucks. So I feel bad for Taysha if she's actually going to come in and have to pick up the pieces of this shit show. Claire pretty much deserves these jerks. I mean, week one, week one, I'm talking about The Bachelorette like it's football. Episode one, it really wasn't that eventful, right? The, the entrances out of the limo were pretty bland, pretty boring. There wasn't a whole ton of drama outside of the little Tyler C. Yosef thing. And I'm not going to lie, watching that in real time, I was totally like, hey, you know what? Good for Yosef. Like, 
Tyler C seems like a douche. He's trying to out this guy on night one. I think he's full of shit. He's from West Virginia. So off the bat, I don't trust him. I'm just going to say that and throw that out there. Full disclosure. Like I had West Virginia bias against Tyler C. Then episode two rolls around. And the reason I'm talking about episode one is obviously, you know, last week I said in my monologue, I had no laptop, laptop broke. So I'm catching up on two weeks here of The Bachelorette. So then episode two rolls around a couple nights ago. And all of a sudden I'm like, maybe, maybe. Just maybe Tyler C. was right. And you know, I actually respected Claire episode one because usually when drama like that happens, it's clear as day both guys should go home. It's clear as day neither of them are going to win. You know, see the Jordans and the Chads from previous seasons. But they get kept and and they stick around. You know, and and the Bachelorette holds on to them because she loves the attention. She loves that one asshole that'll fight for her. She doesn't want to marry that one asshole, but she loves having him on the show because she wants ratings for her season because she's selfish. That's pretty much every season of The Bachelorette ever, except maybe Rachel Lindsay. She was pretty awesome. But, so Tyler C. gets sent home, and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, send Yosef home too. It would be great to get them both out of there, but if you're going to keep one, which is almost inevitable, she kept Yosef, and I was was pretty happy with that. Is he the better-looking dude compared to Tyler C.? No. So I was like, all right, you know, she seems mature. Like, he seems like the better guy, and good for Yosef. Yosef's an asshole. I mean... Uh, forget what you saw in episode two. If you saw the preview for episode three, Yosef is an asshole. He's going to go after Dale. He's going to go after the guy that looks like he is the embodiment of a $200 bottle of cologne commercial. I mean, find something wrong with Dale. I dare you. Find something wrong with him. Dale is like, Dale is exactly like when a girl says to me, like, you scare me. I say, why? She says, because you always know the right thing to say. That's Dale. Dale is that guy that always knows the right thing to say. And I mean, look at him, right? Like enough said. So if Yosef is going to go after Dale, first off, it shows he's jealous as hell. Secondly, hearing Yosef bitch and complain about that dodgeball date, was that date wild? Yes, but he wasn't on it. And he's complaining like he had a big problem with it. You weren't on the date. You didn't have to play strip dodgeball. Mind your own business. Laugh when the other guys walk into the house naked. Why do you have to get like homophobic and start being like, that's disgusting. I have, you know, I have my dignity. I, I have integrity. I wouldn't do that. Yosef fucking sucks. Tyler C. sucked. I'd rather at this point in the season see Tyler C. than Yosef. But back to Claire, because Claire's pretty awful herself. What was that date with Jason? Like, Claire on that date, right, like having Jason write down anything that bad about him that he's ever been called, anything negative people have ever, ever said to him. Like, Claire doesn't need a boyfriend. She doesn't need a fiance. Claire needs a therapist. That was my big takeaway from that episode. Like that date, that was not a date. That was therapy. I mean, maybe that's something you do with your partner, with your husband, your wife, your fiance, whatever. You don't do that on a first date. Like I cannot think of a worse first date. Like it's pretty much anyone who knows me on a personal level knows that like, yes, I am planning on auditioning or going to a casting call to be a contestant on The Bachelorette in the somewhat near future. I might be a little too young now. I don't want to be like Becca from a couple of years back, that dumb 22-year-old on the show. You know, maybe 24 is the better age. But yeah, it's in my plans to get on this show. If that was my first date, like if I was so pumped and had all the energy of, I got the first one-on-one, let's fucking do this. You know, she obviously likes me. I stood out on the first night. She wanted to give me the first one-on-one. Let's go. I'm coming back with a rose. And then that was my first date sitting around a fire and, and writing a letter to my younger self and writing down all the things uh, that people have said like uh, negatively to my face, I'd probably walk out. I'd probably be like, no, 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 this is not a first date. Like 
first dates, are you kidding me? That was therapy. Claire doesn't need, she doesn't need a fiance. Claire needs a shrink. And that's just how it is right now. She is so terrible. You can just like smell like the hatred that she has for every guy who's ever dumped her. Every time she opens her mouth, it's just clear as day. And honestly, it's like not that enjoyable to watch. The way she flipped out after that group date, the way she flipped out on those guys for not all jumping at the bit to get alone time with her, how egotistical can she be? Like, I know, yes, you are the Bachelorette. So in theory, this show is about you. The season is about you. But that's just like another level of just ego right there where it's like, you come out and did she look great? Absolutely, yeah, her fake tits were popping. So she looked awesome. But the fact that they didn't all jump up at once to like go steal her, like, you know, they're trying to be respectful of each other. They're trying not to cause stupid drama and, you know, take the process for what it's worth. It was a first date. They've known her like 48 hours. Maybe chill, Claire. Maybe just chill a little bit. I don't know. I don't like her. I don't like Yosef. I don't like a lot of these guys. I think Dale and Bennett deserve better. I think ideal for me this season, Tasha comes in. Well, ideal is Tasha slides in my DMs. But for this season, ideal is Tasha comes in and chooses Bennett. I think that'd be the best match for this season. I think I could provide Tasha with a lot more. No, not a Rolls Royce. No, I'm not an investment banker. But I think outside of those things, I could provide Tasha with a lot more than Bennett can. But yeah, Tasha Bennett seems to be the power move this season. Uh, and again, look, I don't even know if it's confirmed that Tasha's going to come in. I'm just going based off the rumors I've heard. But Claire ain't it, and a lot of these guys ain't it, especially Yosef. So I'm excited to see what happens week three because I would love to see Yosef challenge Dale. He always talks about like he wants his daughter to see him on TV and like see a role model and be a good example. I would love to see Yosef's daughter watch him get clocked by Dale on national television because that just that just wouldn't be a contest. Also, can we talk about the fact that he, his name's Yosef and he's from Alabama? Like when I saw Yosef, I was like, oh, like maybe she's like into exotic dudes. Like he'll probably provide a little bit of that. He's a redneck. Like, a redneck named Yosef is probably the last thing. Tyler C., I totally expected to be full redneck. Yosef being a redneck? No, no, no. That's, like, the last thing I expected. But, you know, his personality totally shows the dude's from Alabama. He sucks. Like, he has, like, zero respect for women. Talks about how much, like, he wants to be, like, great for his daughter and everything. Has zero respect for Claire. The guy is just... He's, he's terrible. He's the worst. Claire's the worst. Yosef's the worst. I don't know. So far, this season's not great. But uh, I'm hoping in a week or two... Tasha can come in and hopefully save the day. In the meantime, Jake Asman up next from Sports Map Radio. We're going to talk Joe Namath, all things Jets. Speaking of the worst, the Jets, they're the worst. Stick with us. Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. We'll be right back. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining us now. He's already one of the most successful people ever to make it out of the ghetto known as Syosset, Long Island. He's been to more Super Bowls than Big Ben Roethlisberger, and he's got the same number of Super Bowl MVPs. 
He did so many squats in high school. The ladies donned him the ass man, the man single-handedly responsible for getting Le'Veon Bell the fuck out of New York and to Kansas City. It's Jake Asman. Thanks for joining the show, baby. Wow, what an introduction, Joe. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great to be with you. Dude, it's always great to connect. I know last year I had you on back when I was doing my college radio show. I guess it's a little over a year ago now, talking Houston sports. Now you're still down in Houston. You're making headlines, it seems, every week in New York sports. Le'Veon Bell, you're the reason he's no longer a Jet. (laughs) What was that like when you sent that tweet out there and he was one of the first people to like it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So I'll just take you back to kind of like how that came together. So I was watching the Jets, as I do, unfortunately, every Sunday and torture myself with garbage football because I can't get enough of it. And I I, I saw on Twitter that the Jet beat writers tweeted out that Le'Veon Bell, after the Jets lost, didn't speak to the media, refused to come on Zoom and, and talk to the media. So I'm like, oh, boy, he's definitely pissed. Then I saw another tweet from someone that said, oh, Le'Veon Bell just liked this tweet talking about his lack of targets. And I'm like, all right, well, let me take my shot. So I blasted Adam Gase and said that the Jets don't know how to use Le'Veon Bell. They might as well use him. I'm tired of this BS. They might as well trade him, I should say, and get at least a draft pick or something. And what's a lost season? The team was 0-5. They were going nowhere. We know they're terrible. And he liked it. And I knew the second that he liked that tweet, that it was about to take off. Because in the other tweets he liked, he liked three tweets. The other two were about lack of targets. My tweet was specifically about him getting traded. So once that kind of happened, I knew this was going to be a firestorm in New York. And obviously, less than two days later, the Jets couldn't find a trade partner for him, and they just released him. So that was premeditated. That wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to send this tweet out because I feel this way, and I'll just tag him for the hell of it. That was totally premeditated. You know he liked someone else's tweet, and you were like, it's my time to fucking shine here. I didn't know he was going to like my tweet, but I thought there was a chance. I was like, you know what? I, I'm feeling this. I had just actually said it to a friend I was watching the game with that's also a Jets fan. I'm like, they should trade this guy. This is a joke. And then when I saw him like the initial tweets, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to say that I, I'm going to take it a step further because I just had the same exact conversation with someone I was sitting next to. So um, kind of premeditated, but kind of just like I, I always rant about how bad the team is on Twitter usually. So uh, it, it fit right in with some of the other tweets from that day. Amazing. And they are fucking terrible. So what's it like now living in Houston, watching a Jets game? Do you go to just a random bar or do you go to a specific Jets theme bar? I've done both. Um, so last season, I went to a Jets theme bar um, and watched games every Sunday with a bunch of Jet fans. One of the local sports bars in downtown Houston tapered off like the back area of the bar just for Jet fans. And they put up the Jet flags. and It was really cool. But because of COVID this year, they're not doing the the Jet fan bar setup at this bar in uh, downtown Houston. So I needed another way to watch the game. So luckily, our buddy, uh, Dan Budick, who's one of my good friends from high school and college, he has YouTube TV. So he lends me his YouTube TV login. I put it on my TV here. And because he, his login is from New York, I get all the New York channels. So I watch the Jets on like a 30-second delay on YouTube TV every week. That's amazing. You know, I've been, I've been using YouTube TV uh, ever since I moved out about six, seven weeks ago now. Um, yeah, YouTube TV has been a, has been great because I, I was always concerned, right? Like when I move out, I can't afford cable just yet. How the hell do I get live TV? Because I need sports and YouTube TV is the best for that. But that's why I didn't know that you using his login in Houston, that you'd be getting New York channels. I thought it would automatically adjust to, to Texas channels. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. And I'm pumped that it works. And uh, it's kind of funny. So I use Dan's YouTube TV and then I pay him 10 bucks a month for him to buy the Red Zone channel that comes with it. So 
my setup in my apartment, if you've ever seen me like tweet out a picture or on Instagram, I got two TVs. I got a big screen. I got like a, a smaller screen right to the right of the big screen. And normally my, my, my NFL Sundays have the main game on the screen. If it's not the Jets playing, whatever the big game is that day. And if it is the Jets, the Jets go on the big screen and then red zone goes on the other TV. That might start to change because I can't watch this team that much longer. I mean, might have to put red zone on the main screen, the Jets on the small screen, but uh, I'm watching every game right now. And, I, you know, the best day of the week is NFL Sunday for sure. It absolutely is. But, yeah, no, it's, it's fucking painful watching these Jets. I'm not even a Jets fan, and I just feel bad. Because last year they, they left you with a little bit of false hope towards the end of the season. Didn't they start 0-6 last year too, or so, was it 0-5? Last year they started 1-7. But in their 1-7 start, Sam Darnold missed three games with Mono, and he played the first game against the Bills where they blew a 16-0 lead yeah. with Mono. So – we really didn't know what the Jets were. And then, you know, I'll say this about Adam Gase. He's obviously – we know he's a terrible head coach, but he did keep the team together last year. They did go 6-2 and two in the second half. I understand it was against weak opponents, but they still were winning games. And Sam had a winning record when he was healthy last year. So did I think the Jets were going to be contenders this year? Of course not. But did, did I think they'd be better than 0-16? Yeah, I mean, they won seven games last year. I thought they could be competitive. Like, the Giants haven't been good either, but at least Joe Judge has them in these games. Like, they're playing hard. They're getting better. They've only been blown out in just one game. The, the Jets have been non-competitive in all six of their games. The only game they were somewhat close was against the Broncos on a short week where they played a third-string quarterback, and they still ended up losing by nine points in that game, Joe. So they have just been such an unmitigated disaster where it, it, they're not watchable. And it's not going to surprise me at all if they keep Gase for all 16 games if they don't win a game. That's the type of ineptitude we're watching here. So can we call them, if they go 0-16, the worst team of all time? I mean, Dan Orlovsky's Lions, you know, the Cleveland Browns a couple of years ago. It seems like both of those teams are better than the Jets. That Lions team had Megatron. 0-16, but they had Calvin Johnson. They had a reason for people to come to the stadium. It seems like this Jets team just doesn't have that reason. You can argue Sam Darnold, but all you're doing is watching him get sacked seven times and throw to nobody. It's yeah. kind of tough. Now, I mean, point differential-wise, they're right on pace to be the worst team ever. If they continue to play this bad and there's zero semblance of improvement, they might be the worst football team ever. The worst Jets team ever is the 1996 Jets who went 1-15 with Richie Kotite. So, uh, th this is well, the Jets are well on their way to having a worse season than that year. Because if you look at the point differential between the 96 Jets and the 2020 Jets, and I just did this segment on my radio show the other day, the Jets have been outscored this year by 20 points more than they were back in 96 when they also started 0 and 6. So, I mean, they're bad. How bad are they? I mean, we'll find out, but I'm telling, I'll say it again. If Gase is coaching every game this year and they don't fire him, they will go 0 and 16. I just don't see a win on the schedule. Well, it's good news for me because a couple weeks ago I put $20 to flip it to $240 on the Jets to go 0-16. So I'm hoping that that happens. Uh, by the way, you just mentioned your radio show. Totally didn't plug it in the intro. So Sports Map Radio, catch them weekdays 9 to 11 Eastern time. That's the Jake Asman Show. You don't want to miss it. Uh, as he found out just today, I don't listen every day. I do listen about twice a week, though. Um, this, week, <laughs> this week, awesome guests, man. Roddy White, Mark Teixeira, yesterday – Joe Namath, was that your favorite spot of all time? Ooh, uh, probably one of my favorite phone spots ever. It's tough to compare the in-person interview that you would get at like a radio row, as you know, Joe, and like, doing something over the phone. It, it's definitely thrilling. Um, Namath had a, a personal feel to it because of my dad being a Jets fan and growing up loving Joe and the fact that, you know, the Namath interview all came together because I just happened to be in Canton, Ohio, of all places, over the weekend for a wedding. So 
that I have to think about it. Um, I interviewed Bob Costas over the phone when I was in college. That ranks right up there with a, a phone interview spot that I've done. Joe Montana got a lot of publicity, and that was over the phone as well a couple months back. So uh, it's certainly in the top three, I'd say. Um, and then if you compare it to some of the in-person interviews I've been fortunate enough to do, it, it would rank right there with some of the better ones. So I have to think about that. I'm sure I'm going to get asked that a, a bunch over the next couple of uh, years when people interview me. So um, it's a good question. It, it certainly was a huge thrill of mine. This week, it was my favorite spot because of, you know, the ties to my family and, and you know, the media, quote unquote, firestorm it created in New York City. Yeah. And, and we'll get back to the firestorm it created. But when you talk about the in-person interviews, just I'll try to make it easier on you just this past year. Lil Nas, Cam Newton, what was the best one you had down in Miami before COVID flipped everyone's world upside down? Yeah, Lil Nas was fun just because I really like when I get to interview people who aren't related to sports but who are big names. I like to show my range. I think I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good interviewer. I know the right questions to ask. I know how to keep things conversational. So I get a kick when my friends see me interviewing Lil Nas X or Rob Riggle or Martha Stewart or last year in Atlanta, the Backstreet Boys, right? I, I got a kick out of doing the, those type of interviews. But uh, you know, this past year at the Super Bowl, I mean, I just rattled off a couple of those names. Those were great. DeAndre Hopkins was amazing. Von Miller was tremendous. Jarvis Landry was great. You mentioned um, Cam Newton and, and how much fun that was. So it's tough to, uh, to nail down just one, but I might lean if I had to, if I had to pick one, I might lean with uh, either Cam Newton because he was just so contrite and, and so forward and honest and it was a really good spot. He was such a nice dude. I was so shocked just how open he was. And if not Cam, if we're going to go non-sports, I thought our interview with Rob Riggle was hilarious. We talked about some of his, you know, famous movies and some of his insane lines. And he dropped a couple uh, in the face, in the face. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I spit out my drink laughing so hard at that moment. So uh, Riggle was great with us. It's so tough to pick, though, because uh, each interview, you know, could present a special moment you always remember. And, and, and certainly uh, this past year in Miami was just an epic week for us. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I got to say, that was about the best week we could have had right before the world ended. That was, uh, that was yeah, a blast right. down there. I think I had COVID that week, by the way. I'm not, Get the I'm hell not out. Really convinced. I was really sick the first four days of that trip. Like, I had to grind through. I was living on, uh, you know, Dayquils and living on Airborns. I, like, you could ask Cody, my ex-radio partner, and Jose, my producer, and uh, Alex Lovelace, who was with us. I was in bad shape for the first, like, four or five days of that trip. It wasn't until the end of the weekend where I started to get my uh, – my energy back. So I, I was grinding, man. I played, I was like Jordan in the flu game. I was just trying, to, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get through. Maybe it wasn't COVID. Maybe it was, I don't know, but uh, it, it was a special week. I just wish, wish I was a little more healthier for it. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I don't blame you. I always get sick after the Super Bowl, but that's, that's because of other things that go That's because you're out and about and you're taking down the, the, the town every night, Joe. You know, I'm going out, you know, getting free old spice merch and uh, doing whatever I can, you know? Well, that's the best part about the Super Bowl at Radio Row, the free merch you get just by, you know, agreeing to interview people and they come with stuff. It's always great. Absolutely. Uh, so back to this media firestorm that you created. What is it like for you when you're down in Houston and being a Long Island boy, a Syosset boy, you check the New York Post, Newsday, and this has been a recurring theme, especially the last two weeks, but it's happened other times when you get to see your interviews uh, segments from your radio show get quoted in, in these major newspapers back home in New York. What's that like, especially yesterday with uh, Joe Namath this morning, you're in Newsday. Yeah, it's very rewarding for sure. Um, it, 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 it's, it's special to me because I've, you know, I've never denied this. My goal is to go back to New York at some point in my career and be on 
one of the predominant, you know, predominant New York City sports stations or, you know, work for a Sirius XM and, and just, you know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, the companies I alluded to. They're just being in New York City in something related to sports media on the air. Like that has always been my goal for as long as I've been listening to FAN and ESPN New York and l- listening to John Sterling call Yankee games. You know, New York's my city. You know, New York's my town. Those are the teams I root for. That's what I'm passionate about. So as much as I love Houston and I love the opportunities I have now, you know, the end goal is to get back there at some point in my career. So uh, anytime you get acknowledged by, you know, some of the people that are on the air in New York or Newsday makes the back page about a quote that Joe Namath gave me in that interview, it's definitely a rewarding feeling and uh, something I'm very grateful for. Yeah, no, it's got to be awesome. Especially, you know, I saw those pictures of you and your dad meeting Namath. You must have been, what, in high school in those pictures? High school, 2012. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I guess my freshman year of high school. Um, yeah. Saw those pictures and that had to just feel awesome. That'd be like, if I got a chance to interview, you know, I mean the late great Tom Seaver, you know, after uh, something like that, that's exactly what I thought of when I saw that. Just that's, I think what takes our industry a step further, right? Because I mean, I could speak for you and I, I can't speak for everyone. I think we're in this because of our dads, because they set us up to have the passion and love of sports we did so what what was your dad's reaction when you told him that you had Namath on the show yeah uh well I I kept him in the loop that this was happening I mean the the funniest thing with the Namath interview I'll just tell the whole story because it's 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 just people have asked how did you get him on and it's like I didn't do anything other than be really lucky and just ask and I'll tell you what happened so over the weekend of all the places to be attending a wedding I had a wedding in Canton Ohio for a uh, camp couple that I met while I was a counselor at Camp Kenavensis. They were getting married. So me and my camp friends were all invited, and we were going to go to this wedding in Canton, Ohio. And when I first got the invitation, Joe, I saw it was in Canton. I'm like, like Canton, Ohio, with a pro football hall famous. And sure enough, yeah, that, that that's where the wedding was. It was at that's a the only Canton, Ohio. There you go. That's it. Like you know, that's that that's the vineyard. It was at a vineyard in Canton. So when I committed to going to the wedding. I told all my friends that were going, I'm like, we got to go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame when we're there. Like, I'm not going to Canton and not checking out the Hall of Fame. Like, I've never been to Canton before. I've only been to Cooperstown for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like, bucket list thing as a sports fan, I'm sure for you too, Joe, is you want to go visit the Hall of Fame for all the major uh, professional leagues, hockey, basketball included. So, you know, when we landed, I said, hey, guys, Saturday morning, wedding doesn't start till uh, 4.30 in the afternoon. We're going to Canton. Who's in? And a couple of my friends were like, oh, well, you know, we were going to play golf, but you know what? That sounds like a better idea. Let's go to Ken. I'm like, hell yeah. So we go to the Hall of Fame and I smartly, and thank God I did this, I packed a t-shirt that said Broadway Joe on it that I had bought months ago from Joe Namath's official uh, website. And I wore the t-shirt to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Because if you're a Jet fan, all you have really is very few all-time great players. And of course, Joe Willie is the most famous Jet ever. So I'm wearing his t-shirt. And right when you get into the Hall of Fame, Joe, there's a display with a signed game-worn Joe Namath jersey from his playing days. And I took a picture with my Broadway Joe t-shirt on right in front of the display and posted it on my Instagram page. Sure enough, we go to the hall that day, have a great time. I bought this uh, Hall of Fame coffee mug that I'm drinking out of right here. Love you know, it. Got my mug handy. Sure enough, uh, the night of the wedding, in the middle of the best man speech, I kid you not, I look at my phone and I see I have an Instagram comment from at Broadway Joe, Joe's official Instagram account. The comment was like a thumbs up emoji. Then I check my phone a minute later and I see I have a DM from Joe Namath saying, hey, is it okay if we post this? Now, I knew it wasn't Joe Namath DMing me. I figured it was his social media person and it was, but I played along. I go, Joe, absolutely, please do post it. 
Um, I want to let you know that I actually met you eight years ago at a charity event with my dad. My dad grew up idolizing you. He's the reason why we're all Jets fans today. I host a, a radio show nationally on Sports Map Radio. It'd be an honor to get you on the show. He goes, send your info. I'll pass it along to my media guy and we'll set something up. Sure enough, I obviously give him my email, my cell phone, DM it back. It gets passed along. Sunday night, I get a text from Joe's uh, media manager saying, hey, Jake, give me a call tomorrow. We'll set something up for this week with you and Joe. So I'm like, okay, Monday morning, call, call the guy after my show. We have a, we have a uh, day set up for Wednesday of this past week. Joe comes on, we do the interview, and obviously the question about Trevor Lawrence allows that interview to go viral and you know dominate the, uh, the headlines in New York. So all because I just happened to go to a wedding in Canton, Ohio, wearing Joe Namath's T-shirt, and then just asking if he would come on the show, did I get Joe Namath on the radio show? Now, I think because of that, the unwritten rule, one of many unwritten rules in sports that we talk about, is that you have to get married in that Joe Namath shirt one day. You know, <laughs> fuck the tux. I think you just have to wear it after that because weddings and Joe Namath just go together now in your life. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Canton, Ohio will always have a special place in my heart, not just for the wedding, but for the Pro Football Hall of Fame and that it provided one of the, you know, really, um, you know, at this point, significant moments in my broadcasting career for sure. Yeah, no, that, that is a wild story. That's incredible. Congrats on, you know, it's funny. I noticed I posted a picture. I met Joe Namath last summer when I was interning at Sirius. He came on uh, Shine on Sports with Adam Shine. And uh, first off, he's just hilarious. The first thing, you know, I was interning, right? So I'm doing the, the shit work. And uh, I will say it's Sirius. They're great to their interns. They really don't make them do crappy work. But when Namath came in, the first thing I asked him was like, hey, Mr. Namath, can I get you a cup of coffee? And he was like, absolutely. I said, how do you take it? He goes, just like my women, son, hot and black. That's what he said? That was my introduction to Joe Namath. I oh, dude, that is an all-time story. That's awesome. <laughs> he was no, he was great. And then, you know, again, we weren't really supposed to do this, but afterwards I was like, I can't pass up a picture with Joe Namath. So I took oh. a picture with him, posted it, and, you know, he actually liked my picture. Didn't comment or anything, but I noticed that either he or his social media team yeah. actually did like the picture. And I'll tell you what, though, Joe, there's that, oh, you're not supposed to take a picture. I think it's different with our field. I, I think what yeah. we do in radio is different than, you know, the, the, the straight sports journalist that's telling the story and reading the prompter and doing their packages. You know, I, I, we're, we're opinionists. We're talk show hosts. We're entertaining. Like, we have a great interview with a guest. Like, we're not trying to do gotcha journalism. We're not doing journalism. You know, we're having the conversation. I think it's totally cool to always take a picture with the guest. I mean, at Radio Row, I, there's not a single person that comes on our show that we don't get a picture with afterwards. I mean, that's Absolutely. part of the fun of our jobs. You know, we got to, you know, we got to enjoy the opportunities that this, uh, this profession allows us to have. And, and one of those opportunities is to interact with great athletes and celebrities from time to time and, and you know, have a, a lasting memory with a photo. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I take pictures with your guests. If I can't even get them on my show, you know, I, I had no problem coming over and grabbing a selfie with Lil Nas last year, even though he, he didn't have the time to hop on our show. But uh, yeah, he, he was a busy guy. He had like an entourage of like 20 people with him. That was nuts. It was crazy. And I will say he was, especially for someone who I believe is younger than me, definitely younger than you. He was like so mature and the nicest guy in the world. Like he was the one, his entourage originally was like, no pictures were busy. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I got a second. He was, he was really cool. I was impressed by him. No, he was, he, he was really cool. He kind of was, uh, I wouldn't say he was shy. He was kind of quiet at the beginning of that interview. I only did like seven minutes with him, but once I like, I, I don't know what I, – I have to go back and listen to it. I haven't heard it since. But I, I remember once – there was something that clicked at some point in the interview where he started to really show more personality, and it, it actually turned into a pretty good spot. Yeah, no, th those were some great interviews. Actually, I'll be totally honest with you. The flight back on – I know you stayed for the game. We flew back Saturday, and I spent the flight back actually listening to some of your interviews, Lil Nas, Von Miller, Cam Newton. That was what got me through the flight back. 
Awesome. Um, yeah. How did we do? Dude, it was incredible. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Right. I, how, how could it not be when you have Cam Newton and, the, and those guys coming on? Well, you know, if the, if the interviewer sucks, you know, it could ruin the whole thing. So I just want to make sure we didn't, uh, we didn't hinder your experience. You, you did all right, man. You got me through a flight. You and, uh, and the hangover got me through the flight. Now, <laughs> Joe Namath came on, talked about Trevor Lawrence and how the Jets can't pass him up. I want to know. I, I usually hate this debate, but this Jets team is so bad. The Jets right now with Joe Flacco at quarterback versus Clemson. Who wins that game? You know, people are going to say, no way, you're wrong. But don't think for a second Clemson doesn't have a real chance to win that game. I'm just telling you, right now, does Clemson not have the better head coach, the better quarterback, and the better running back right off the bat? No, absolutely not. Yeah, so you know what? I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a pro quarterback. Travis uh, Etienne is a pro running back, probably a first top, you know, top 15 pick. Davos Sweeney could coach in the NFL tomorrow if he wants to. So, yeah, you know what? Dude, would the Jets probably win? I, I, I guess. But would I be shocked if the Jets lost to Clemson? Absolutely not. They're horrible. So it wouldn't surprise me. Well, to me, what it comes down to, right, is the defense. Because, you know, even, even a guy like Frank Gore, who's, you know, 57 years old at this point, when he's running downhill towards a 19-year-old linebacker, there's a difference, right? But this Clemson defense, I mean, this is a team that puts, you know, there have been years they put three defensive linemen in the first round of the NFL draft. Like, they are a pro defense. The offense undoubtedly could put up points on the Jets. I, I really think, out of all teams, you know, I'm not even going to say Alabama because I don't trust this Alabama defense at all this year. But I think out of all teams, like Clemson versus the 2020 Jets – you got a chance. Listen, if Darnold's not playing and it's Joe Flacco who can't move, I mean, Clemson's defensive line usually has three or four guys that end up playing in the NFL anyway. So, yeah. would the Jets win? I would hope they win, Joe, but would I be shocked if they lost? No, I wouldn't be. That's how bad they've been. Now, do you agree with Namath's take about taking Trevor Lawrence if the Jets have the first pick? Yeah, so I don't think his take is anything that the vast majority of Jet fans disagree with. I think most Jet fans, and this is certainly my opinion, Feel that Sam Darnold can be a very good quarterback. Feel that with the right coaching, which he doesn't have, and the right players around him, which he obviously doesn't have, he could, he could be a franchise quarterback. I mean, Sam does things that other bad quarterbacks just don't do. Like, I still think there's a lot of talent there. He just has nothing, and he's been poorly coached. Like, I think if he went to Pittsburgh or Indy or went to Shanahan in San Francisco, Sam could be a top 10 quarterback under that type of uh, offensive coaching staff and weapons. Like, I really believe that. So, it's not so much that I'm, I'm not sold on Darnold. It's just that if they go 0-16 or 1-15 and they have the first overall pick and Adam Gase is gone, and he will be, and Joe Douglas hires his coach, that coach has no ties to Sam Darnold. Joe Douglas also didn't draft Sam Darnold. He might look at it like, all right, you know what? It's not you, Sam, but we can get a second-round pick for you, and we're going to take Trevor Lawrence, who's the greatest quarterback prospect since John Elway or whatever else they're going to say about him. So I, I, I think when name it's like, you know, it might be hard just to pass on him. He's a monster. That's how most Jet fans feel. Like, if, if the new coach comes in, Joe, and says, we want to build around Sam, let's trade that pick for a Herschel Walker-like package. I could get on board with that. But if the new coach comes in and says, yeah, we're taking Lawrence. We can't pass up on this guy. He's can't miss. I, I don't think any Jet fan would be that upset and be, you know, freaking out if they did that. And, and you also have to remember this, too. The Jets, if they pick Lawrence – will not be criticized as much as they would be if they end up sticking with Sam and don't take Lawrence and he goes somewhere else and lights it up. They will be ripped to, to the high heavens forever if they pass on Lawrence to stick with Sam and it doesn't work out. Whereas if they take Lawrence and let's say it doesn't work out, it's easier to point to and say, well, that was the right move. It didn't work. So it depends how you look at it. My preference would be Sam shows us something when they fire Gase and 
They could build around them, but, you know, they're awful. So they're probably going to go 1-15, and 0-16, oh and, and they're going to be facing that decision. And I fully expect if they have the first pick, they're not going to not take Trevor Lawrence. So it's a, it's a long-winded answer. I understand that. But there's a lot of nuance to it, and that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, no, there, there absolutely is. And, look, honestly, at the end of the day, I wasn't a huge fan of his in college. But right now, at the end of the day, I just I feel for Sam because he's shown glimpses of what he can do. You know, that Thursday night game against Denver, there were instances where he looked incredible. And it was just like Denver is one of the worst teams in football right now, and he still didn't have enough help with that Jets roster to get past the Broncos at home on a short week. So I, I totally agree with your answer. I think you hit every nail on the head along the way. And hopefully Donald has a good career. Hopefully also if the Jets do take Lawrence, they don't ruin him because I could yeah, see that I mean, as a possibility. You know, the, the one thing I'll say about the Jets, there's not a lot of positives you could say, but let's say they are 0-16, right? Joe Douglas already has an extra first-round pick in the Jamal Adams deal this year. They'd have the first pick. They'd have a new coach. They have all, they, the second most amount of salary cap space in the NFL this offseason. It's an attractive job if it opens up. If you're sitting there with the first pick and you have a quarterback in Sam Darnold that you either believe in or could flip for maybe a late one or a, definitely a two, and then you add another pick on top of a GM that's known to be a personnel guy and Joe Douglas, because the thing that gets lost in the Jets' uh, ineptitude is that Joe Douglas is not responsible for very much of it. He just got here. Like, Makai Beckton looks like he's going to be an all-pro. I love hurt. that kid. I love hopefully, that kid. Yeah, hopefully he comes back, right? But, like, the, the, the first-round pick he made looks like he's going to be a huge hit. Let's see what Denzel Mims is when he comes back and finally plays, you know, maybe this Sunday. So I, I'm optimistic that Joe Douglas understands how to navigate the draft and understands how to find good football players. Time will tell on that. But he can't be any worse than Mike McCagden. So that's one small positive. So if you have the first pick, cap space, and an opening for a head coach, that's a pretty attractive job, especially when you're still playing in New York City. So, you know, in 96, when the Jets were 1-15, and within two years they were playing in the AFC Championship game and went 12-4 and under Bill Parcell. So if you get the right coach in there and you get the right players in the draft, Things can turn quickly in the NFL, so they got to get the coaching hire right. That's how you fix this mess. And if there's ever a time to turn it around, it's right now. Brady's out of, the, out of the division. New England is, you know, showing that they're finally human for the first time in two decades. So make a splash and see what happens. Look, Jake, I really appreciate the time. Before I let you go, obviously this time of year, football is what people spend most of their time talking about. The World Series is going on. What are your thoughts on this entire postseason? I mean, from your Yankees performance – to the Houston Astros, the team in the city that you're living in right now, going from losing record to game seven of the ALCS. What's this postseason been like for you as a fan and as a journalist? It's been, uh, it's been entertaining. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed that the Yankees scored a run in an elimination game again. I mean, they never hit when they need to. So that's, uh, you know, that's typical. So I was frustrated with that, of course. But, you know, you look at, you know, this World Series, the Rays are really good, and they just don't get the, uh, the respect they should from uh, the, the casual sports fan. And I think that will change. I did pick the Dodgers in six before it started, but the Rays didn't get to the World Series by accident. Like, they didn't beat the Yankees and then the Astros because they weren't good or they didn't know how to play. Like, they all understand their roles on that team. They invented the opener. They're not – you're never going to – like, the Dodgers tried to out-nerd the Rays in game two you can't out nerd the Rays, just like the Yankees were moronic to try and out nerd the Rays in game two with the Debbie Garcia J half debacle. So the Rays are really good. I think if the Dodgers stars play like stars, they'll win. Like we saw in game one, that's had a big night. Bellinger had a big night and Kershaw was great. If that happens a couple more times, the Dodgers are just better. But the Rays, if you give them an opportunity to get a timely hit or give them an opportunity to take advantage of a mistake pitch, they'll do that. So I think this is going to be a really good World Series. And 
Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Rays end up winning it. So here's my rebuttal to that. And, and I have the Rays in seven, actually. That was my pick pre-series. Uh, Dodgers, absolutely a better team. You're a thousand percent right there. I mean, their lineup is essentially an all-star team. Can you rely on Clayton Kershaw to have two great starts in a World Series? And if it goes to game seven, which I think it will, Charlie Morton, best fucking winner-take-all pitcher of all time. I love that the ball would be in his hands for a game seven. Yeah, no question, man. I mean, look, Kershaw, I I think some of the playoff stuff is a bit overblown. There's a lot of bad starts in there, but there's also a lot of good starts in there. Oh, yeah, he's got, what, a 2.8 ERA? Yeah, he's been pitching very well this year, and he's had a lot of really good – the thing with Kershaw in the playoffs is there's really no in-between. He's either very good or really bad, which is why his ERA was so high, because when he's bad, he's giving up five earned runs in four innings, and that's going to crush your ERA and a pretty short sample size. So I think some of the playoff stuff's a bit overblown. He was great in game one. Uh, if he really wants to change the narrative that's out there that he's not a playoff performer, go out there and, and pitch great in game five and, you know, be the World Series MVP if that's the case. So I think he's capable of it. I mean, he looks like he's locked in. I think the fact that uh, the Dodgers had to overcome being down 3-1 to the Braves and, and go through that adversity, I think that makes them stronger entering this World Series. But, you know, the Rays are really good. And, and obviously, if it gets to a game seven and, you know, big game Charlie Morton's coming out to start, that's going to be tough for the Dodgers. So they better win it in six. Big cock Chuck. Look, two last things real quick. The Houston Astros, were you rooting for them to get there because everyone would be pissed off and it would make for great radio? Or as a Yankee fan, do you hate the Houston Astros? No, no, come on. I, I, I don't like the Rays, but, I mean, the Astros is a different level of uh, disgust and hatred. I can't, I can't work for Houston. Now, I will say – if it was Dodgers-Astros, would that have been more entertaining than dodgers race? For sure. But I don't want to give the Astro fan the satisfaction of their team, you know, going to the World Series after they had a losing record in uh, the 60-game season. I don't want to see that. I was, I was nervous when it was Game 7. You know, I'm at this wedding in Canton, Ohio, checking my phone to see what the score is. I'm like, I really got to check my phone to see what the Astros are doing. I thought they were done when they were down 3-0. What are we doing? So I- I'm happy they're gone. And, uh, I don't like the Rays either, so I'm rooting for the Dodgers. But, yeah, no. I mean, storyline-wise, yes, it would have been epic Dodgers-Astros, but I'm glad they're gone. And then the last thing, are you done with Aroldis Chapman yet? It's two years in a row that he has ended the Yankees season and, like, smirked off the field with a smug look that you just want to smack off his face. Are you done with him, or do you still think his stuff is electric? I mean, he still had a very good year, so it's tough. But, you know, when you keep giving up these playoff home runs, you know, Yankee fans are going to be upset, and rightfully so. I mean, we were spoiled for 20 years having the greatest closer ever in Mariano Rivera, who blew, what, maybe like two playoff games ever? And, like, is the reason why the Yankees had this dynasty and were so great for so many years? So, listen, Chapman, of course, can't give up that home run. The thing I'll say is the Yankees need to stop not hitting in elimination games. They scored one run against the Tampa Bay Rays, a team built to hit scored one run. So, yes, Chapman gave up the home run. That was bad. But I'm more frustrated with the offense than I am with Aroldis Chapman giving up a home run to Brasso. There you have it. Jake Asman, catch him weekdays 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on Sports Map Radio out of Houston. Jake, we, we didn't even get to, uh, to one of my favorite uh, segments from, from one of your radio shows this year, that, uh, that hinge date that your buddy went on. Oh, yes. My, uh, unfortunately for my friend, he uh, went on a hinge date with a girl he thought was uh, – a lot skinnier than she actually was. And uh, I guess as they say in the hinge world, he was fat-fished. We've all been there, unfortunately. When I was li- – I actually, I think I texted you that morning during yeah. your show and was like, did I, did I drunk text you this weekend and tell you what happened to me on Friday night? The story was fucking identical. Looks it so- was da- down to like going to a Mexican restaurant, like stepping out of the car being like, that is not – you know, the picture I, that I swiped right on was like, 
2017 Mykonos. And what I saw was like put on the COVID-19. That's, uh, that's funny. And, you know, just to give you an update on my buddy that went through that date, he's now dating somebody else who actually looks like her picture. So, so far, so good there. Amazing. And the update on my dating life is that I deleted all those apps because they fucking suck. They, they, that they do. I was telling you that off air. They are horrible. Oh my God, they're the worst. Jake, good luck with that aspect of your life. Keep killing it on the air, man. Thanks for coming on. Likewise, Joe. I appreciate you having me, man. You do a great job. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with my final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. What an incredible spot right there. My guy, Jake Asman. Known him, God, I guess now we're going on nine years. And uh, just watching him do what he's doing down in Houston over at Sports Map Radio formerly SB Nation Radio, is uh, is just a blast. Always love the week that I get to hang out with Jake down at the Super Bowl every year. Uh, we'll see what happens in 2021 down in Tampa Bay. I wouldn't exactly say Florida right now is the best place to be hosting a Super Bowl, and obviously Radio Row is going to have a lot of limitations. Would be a bummer, but unfortunately looking like this might be the first time in three years for me and in four years for Jake where uh, the Super Bowl trip might not be in our near future. Look, I just have to address this giant elephant in the room. Last week, my picks sucked, right? Serralo pick six was off to an incredible start uh, so far since week one in the NFL. Made you money every week up until last week. Two and five, gonna own it. Was really confident on some picks. They just didn't go the right way. You know, Green Bay minus one in Tampa. I was very confident and Brady just, you know, got the best of Aaron Rodgers. So it's up to me right now to make it up to you. Let's do it. My Serralo pick six. I'm starting on the college scene. You know I'm excited. The Big Ten is back, baby. And there are a lot of numbers I'm looking at. I was looking at Penn State, minus six at Indiana. I was looking at Ohio State, big number, 26 and a half against Nebraska. I'm going to go Michigan State. I know Sparty was disappointing last year. Just six and six. They've struggled in opening weeks in recent years. They're opening against Rutgers. Rutgers, a perennial 2-10 team in the Big Ten. Give me Sparty minus 13.5 at home against the Bums from New Brunswick. Over to the American Athletic Conference. Tulane heading to UCF. They're a 19.5 point underdog. Look, do I doubt that UCF's going to win this game? No, not at all. Tulane is drastically better at home than they are on the road. But listen to some of these point totals UCF's given up on the year. 21 to Georgia Tech. 28 to East Carolina, 49 points, and they lost, giving up 50 to Memphis. I just don't trust UCF's defense. Hell, they gave up 34 to Tulsa at home. Tulane is not going to lose this game by three touchdowns. I'm going with the green wave here. They put up 66 on Southern Miss. I trust this one to be a high-scoring affair. Hammer the over and give me Tulane plus 19 and a half. There you go. It's a double pick. Over to the NFL, Green Bay. I'm hopping back on the discount double check. Aaron Rodgers does not fail to bounce back from an embarrassing loss like he suffered against Tampa Bay last week. 38-10 they lost in Tampa. They're going to Houston. I think three and a half points is a gimme 
to take the Packers on the road. Another road team favored by a field goal. I got three road teams in the NFL favored by about a field goal. Going with the Browns at the Bengals. Last time I was lucky, I hit the back door harder than a fucking porn star when the Cincinnati Bengals covered against Cleveland on Thursday Night Football Week 2. This time, I'm going with the Browns. Cleveland got obliterated by Pittsburgh, just as I said they would. That was one of my two right picks last week. And Baker Mayfield came out and said 4-2 has never felt so much like 0-6. Oh, I don't want to hear that from my quarterback. Browns minus three. Hammer him against the Bengals team that just blew a 21-0 lead against Indy. Seattle taking on the Cardinals, coming off a bye week. This, to me, could not be any better. I made money on Arizona Monday night against Dallas. Now they're coming out and people are saying, watch out, they're home against Seattle. Seattle's only a field goal favorite, three and a half to be exact. I'm going to buy that three and a half down from minus 105 odds to a three-point game at minus 115 odds. And I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks, undoubtedly, undisputably, the best road team at covering in the NFL over the last three years. Give me Russ and the Hawks minus three at minus 115 at Arizona. My sixth pick, Sunday Night Football. Look, I think they're the worst 5-1 team I've ever seen. I hate the Chicago Bears. And the Rams, they've been pretty damn good this year for a team that I picked to come in last place in that NFC West. The Rams are looking like a playoff team. That said, I'm going with the Bears. Sunday night, plus six. Six points is just too big of a number for that defense. Khalil Mack has an edge. He wants Defensive Player of the Year. He wants a Super Bowl. Nicky Foles, Big Dick Nick, St. Nick, prime time is where he shines. I'm going the Bears, plus six in LA. And for my extra point, my upset of the week. It's not a college game. It's not an NFL game. It's tonight. Tampa Bay, game three, plus 140. Give me big cock Chuck, Charlie Morton and the Rays money line against the Dodgers tonight for game three of the World Series. And that does it for this episode. I just want to reiterate something I opened up with and wish my guy Brandon Lang the best in his recovery. A little bit of a health issue this week. That's why he's not on the show. Hopefully we'll have him back next week. Be Lang, get better. Special thanks, Jake Asman, for hopping on. Special thanks, Kirsten Kroll, for her work on the show. Guys, make some money this weekend. I'll try to write the ship, and I'll see you next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.